0: Ah, you obviously know Kung
1: Fu. Hey, folks, this is Stephen Kepfer, martial artist, stunt performer, and founder of New York Combat Sambo, and you're listening to the Kung Fu Drive In Podcast.
2: Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. <laughs> Joining me today is stunt performer, martial artist, and founder of New York Combat Sambo, Stephen Kepfer. Stephen, thank you so much for joining the Kung Fu Driving
1: Podcast today. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me.
2: It's great to have you. Uh, We connected on social media, and uh, I saw some of the things that you do, uh, and I'm interested in the martial arts that uh, you are a uh, proud proponent of. So right off the top, let's get right into that. Uh, On Instagram, you're known as Sambo Steve. Now, what exactly is Sambo?
1: So, yeah, that that nickname came around a long time ago. Like uh, the early days of mixed martial arts, like when I was trying, when I was on, um, well, now it's called MMA.tv, but back then it was the underground forums and uh, I needed a a, a screen name for my account. And uh, I was a Sambo guy and my friend was like, hey, just call yourself Sambo Steve. And it stuck. So that's basically on every... Platform that'll be my screen name. So if you ever need to find me, just just look for that. But uh, so sambo, yeah, it's a it's a martial art that is derived from judo and several other wrestling styles from the former Soviet regions and um, some other martial art styles as well, like Japanese Jiu-Jitsu and um, basically a whole bunch of different things. But it was a product of the early. 20th century um, Soviet military basically and it's like a lot of martial arts it started out as strictly a hand to hand combat system and then later on evolved to have a sport component and um, I started training it in 1999 officially but I was first introduced to it a little before that about a year before that uh, in 98 when I took a seminar with Oleg Taktarov uh, UFC champion from back in the day for those who don't know and um, yeah so that's kind of how I got into it I was before Sambo I was training Sanchao and fighting uh, kickboxing you know Sanchao kickboxing and also kind of grappling in the early days of grappling tournaments and I was looking to change gyms and Kind of by chance, I found Sambo. It wasn't that I was specifically looking for it. So what kind of attracted me to it was more about the coach than the style. I just really appreciated how my coach, uh, his name is Alex Barkov, how he taught and, um, you know, how he approached the material, what he was teaching, how he was teaching. And, um, you know, and then later on, I learned to really love Sambo. But what first got me to stay in the gym was him, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you are uh, versed in several different styles uh Sanshao Jiu Jitsu, as well. I believe you've got uh, a gold medal, some uh, bronze medals. Um, what was it then about Sambo that uh, got you to stick with it and really explore it a little bit more?
1: Um, but just regarding, like, uh, just like the Cliff Notes version of my past. I mean, I'm not officially ranked in Jiu Jitsu, but I've cross trained a lot of it. Just being in the grappling world, you know, I have a lot of friends who are Jiu Jitsu guys and. And stuff but like in terms of uh official ranks i have my shodan and judo and i also have uh my taekwondo black belt from when i was younger um and when i was real young you know i was in like uh shotokan karate now we're talking like uh, early 70s you know when i was like basically the early 70s version of kids daycare karate that my mom put me in (laughs) but right but you know that that planted the seeds it got me interested and uh then in high school, I started taking uh, Taekwondo and I've been training consistently since, you know. But I mean, what, what attracted me to the way Alex taught Sambo and what I've learned is a very normal way of t- of coaching Sambo. And, and like, like many things, Soviet, it's very utilitarian. It's very practical. It's very... Um, Scientifically oriented, so like um, it's much more akin to, say, a wrestling practice than a a more traditional kind of uh, dojo environment. You know, there's it's not a lot of formality, it's simply about training. There's no sort of Asian martial art version of ranking, you know, color belts or anything like that. It's literally it's why com- wrestlers often find it very comfortable when they, you know, kind of get out of college and need something to keep doing. Uh, Sambo is often a nice fit because it's much more akin to a wrestling style than it is to like a, uh, a formal Asian martial art, you know.
2: Now, the the little that uh, I read up on it, Sambo is a uh, uh, contraction of a, a couple of Russian words, I think. That means self-defense without weapons. Is that an accurate portrayal of what sambo is
1: yeah yeah sambo is an acronym so it's it's a lot easier to say sambo than what do you do what do you train in i train self-defense without weapons i so would uh, <laughs> i train self-defense class and then to say it in russian which i would probably bastardize it but Samoshisa besha russia right is yeah right 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 so i'm sure russian listeners will tell me that i just like totally screwed that up but but that's basically what it means and um you know, and the irony is in the early days of Sambo, they practiced a lot with weapons, but. <laughs> of course, right. Uh, but that is what it that that is what it means. And um, I don't know, I just, I just really loved it. You know, I mean, what I say t- today, what I say to people today is, remember how cool you thought John Wick was when you first saw that movie and you were like, oh my God, those fights are amazing. That's how I felt when I saw sambo because oh cool it's very similar kind of stuff I mean that's why in the storyline anyway so- John Wick is a sambo guy you know right so like all that choreography was meant to emulate kind of a sambo flavor of course Hollywood version you know much more dramatic than real life like all Hollywood fights but it was meant to emulate that and so like when I was looking to move on to something else, in my own training back then. And then I took my first Sambo class. I was like, wow, holy cow. This is like amazing stuff. Like people are doing scissor takedowns and all these jumping, flying techniques and stuff. I was like, this is really cool.
2: Now that's interesting. Now you mentioned that you found a Sambo class. I had never run across any kind of Sambo class, uh, you know, and I've, I've been around a while, so <laughs> I, um, it would be the first time that I'm hearing about any kind of sambo class. Uh, of course, now you are a the head coach at New York Combat Sambo, but where did you run into this class out of the blue?
1: Well, yeah. So in okay, so in Manhattan there was a place that doesn't exist anymore called Chow's Martial Arts, and um, it was a kung fu place. But there was a guy teaching out of that place. Uh, Teaching Sambo, you know, so I heard about it because I had um, been looking for another school, you know, and somebody was like, hey, there's this guy teaching Sambo over here, you know, like, and I was like, really now, of course, there was at that time, some existing in like Brighton beach or like if you were in like a small pocket Russian community or something. And mostly that training was, and it probably is still is largely like that uh, today. Like uh, a lot of expats train there. And uh, aside from just training, it's also like for, for a lot of expats or it's for cultural Russians or for, you know, Ukrainians or um, Georgians or it is a kind of a way to keep some cultural context for them you know so it has it has much more meaning than just like uh, an awesome thing to train like there's cultural relevance but um but for me not being in those communities and i was like whoa there's a sambo guy let's go check out the class you know because i i had left where i was training and kind of drifting for a little bit like figuring out where i wanted to go and uh yeah that's how i found it It was like kind of by chance you know but i'm glad it happened yeah (laughs) no that's cool it changed my life on, on on a million on a million different levels like i have i mean i have martial arts to thank just in general martial arts to thank for so much but sambo specifically like it's unbelievable how it changed my life like who knew walking into that class like uh that long ago would have the ripple effect it had in my life you know to today you never know. Yeah, that's fantastic.
2: And we're gonna get into a, a bunch of that because you mentioned John Wick. But before we get there, uh you had an interest in film and T V work since you were a kid as well. So which came first for you? Your interest in martial arts or your interest in becoming part of the entertainment industry? Hmm.
1: Kind of Well, I would say they were they they had they were simultaneous, but it was nothing ever clicked for me that I could combine the two though. You know, so it was like it was kind of like um so as a child, you know, so we're talking like I was born 68, right? So it's like we're talking early 70s and 80s and stuff. I mean, if you would have seen my library back then and my VHS collection and stuff, it was like I wasn't like a lot of my peers. I wasn't like addicted to the, the Hong Kong flicks and stuff, although I did watch them. You know, I watched stuff, but I wasn't like a junkie on that stuff. Right. But I was more at that time, really interested in being behind the camera, not in front of the camera. So I was, like, hardcore into model making and uh, making little films and, like, just special effects. Like, at that time, I thought I wanted to really be, you know, a special effects guy, like Tom Savini or something like that. Like, I wanted to be that guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't really have an interest of... Or even a knowledge, like I guess intellectually, I knew there was this this thing called a stuntman. You know what I mean? But, and at the same time, I was interested in training martial arts and stuff, but I don't know, it just never clicked for me that that could all be like one thing, you know? So yeah, all the stuff that I did as a kid, you know, making movies on my dad's Super 8, you know, camera and, and learning how to edit actual film and then. When I was younger, I went to camp, you know, for filmmaking, you know, and then at that time we were learning to shoot, you know, every summer you would break up into a group and then, so it was at New York Institute of Technology. So the counselors were all like in the film program there and stuff like that. And, um, so for the whole summer, you would have a project that you would work on from writing it through, through, um, shooting it through post-production, you know, and, um, we were working on like Betamax decks and learning how to edit like tape and stuff. It was, you know, it was cool, but it taught me like the very fundamental way to approach shooting something, you know? Okay. So we had the summer, we're going to make a, like one of the ones we did was a music video for she's a beauty by the tubes. Right. So we're like, all right, we're going to make, we're going to make this music video. And then we, the whole process, you want the whole process. So, I was just so interested in filmmaking to the point where like um, all through high school, that was my goal to get into filmmaking. And then, um, you know, high school, I, I, was an art and music guy, like most of my life. And um, I went to at high school, which was a magnet school for the art for art. And then I ended up going to school of visual arts in New York city for college on a scholarship. And, but I got my scholarship for advertising and art direction but even that was like my goal was, well, I'm going to use advertising to learn how to make movies. You know, I'll learn to make 30 second commercials, which I'll I'll make I'll learn how to make movies, you know. So like in college, I, uh, I learned how to storyboard, copyright, you know, I'll do all that kind of stuff. And then um, I ended up not working in advertising. And, you know, like a lot of people go to college for whatever and they don't do it. But I ended up working as an art therapist because I minor I did a like a, a minor at School of Visual Arts and Art Therapy. And then that I really loved that, you know. And then so when I got out of college, I kind of went back, you know, through work, I went back to grad school. And then I ended up working as a pediatric art therapist and child life specialist for, until two thousand five when I quote unquote retired to run my martial arts gym full time. But So for a big, big decade of my life, I worked in pediatric oncology, intensive care, and I did medical education, and, um, and I was a, a group counselor and individual counseling and did all this other stuff, research, publishing. You know, it's, like, it's a whole part of my life that people have no <laughs> idea that even exists. Well, that's interesting because
2: uh, I'm assuming that throughout all of that going on, you were still training and studying martial arts. Is that
1: right? Yeah, Absolutely. That the martial arts was the one constant thing in my whole life, you know what I mean? And um, like, for the last couple of years working, I worked at Maimonides Medical Center in, in Brooklyn. And um, for the last couple of years of that job, I was also running the New York Combat Sambo at night, you know. And um, yeah, it just got to a point where I had to decide what I wanted to do. You know, the gym was getting uh, the gym was getting big enough that it wasn't going to grow anymore unless I went all in. You know, so I had to decide, do I keep doing the hospital work or do I just go all in and take a risk and run the gym? So I I, I took the leap, you know, wow. so and here we are.
2: That's such a different path from uh, what you finally got into. So um, how then did you get involved in the stunt world?
1: So I guess we can thank Sambo somewhat again, because like, um, you know, I quit the hospital and then i just started coaching martial arts you know as my living and then 2006 comes along and this brand new thing called youtube crops up and i'm like i'm gonna start a channel you know and uh so now filmmaking was like easier for everybody with technology and stuff so i started creating you know instructional videos and sambo videos and and um doing all that kind of stuff i we were the first channel on youtube to be for sambo You know what I mean? And, um, you know, we've been YouTube, we've been on there since basically since day one. So about a year after that, if you look at the timeline, I got contacted by human weapon on history channel and, uh, they were going to do the episode on Sambo, you know, and they needed basically a technical advisor and, and a fixer and someone to help them build some connections in Russia to shoot the episode and stuff. And, uh, they reached out to me and they found me because of YouTube, right? You know, like, cause, because because you know, like you like you said before, like samba is not a very popular thing. So uh, that was sort of the first time I worked on a real show, you know. And um, you know, I basically didn't do much, but they would send me the treatments for the episode, and I would kind of give them some advice, and then I hooked them up with some people and um, talked about some, you know, kind of gave them an introduction to what the sambo culture is like and then um you know they had run some ideas for me that they were having by the show about how to do the episode and you know so it was cool i got i got to work on that and so that was like kind of like wow this is really cool i'm kind of back in where i thought i might want to be like when i was younger you know back into tv and then that kind of started it again and then once the rep traveled that i worked on that show then i ended up doing some other stuff. And then I worked on, um, Dhani tackles, the globe on, um, travel channel and that, that episode I was actually on. And then, um, little by little, I started kind of working my way back into the industry. And by 2011, yeah, I think like 2011, I, I produced a documentary about, um, how MMA was still illegal here in New York. And uh which by the way everybody can see for free now on my Vimeo channel. So just you can search my name on Vimeo, you can find that documentary. It was on Hulu for a long time. It was on the Hulu catalog for a long time, but um basically once we got MMA in New York, they kind of like let us go. But I think we were on Hulu for about five years. And um so I produced that and we got some success, you know, and um some acclaim and uh got into a couple of festivals we got distributed and which is kind of rare, right? For someone's first movie, like, oh my God, got picked up by a distributor and now I'm on Hulu. This is really, wow. I'm kind of living the dream, you know? Like I wasn't making rich. You're not going to get rich off a documentary on Hulu, but it was just cool. It was just like, wow, I can maybe do this, you know? And then um, shortly after that, a former student of mine named Sean Fitzgerald, uh, who used to fight out of my gym, but also went to college for film and stuff and ended up moving to LA. And at that time he was kind of like a low level production for the bachelor, you know, that reality show, um, you know, not what he was aspiring to do for his life, but you know, that's you, you pay the bills how you can in the industry. So was, he contacted me, he had um, written a pilot and was like, Hey Steve, you're the big time producer. Now you want to, produced this uh, proof of concept for me, this pilot. And I was like, yeah, man, what the heck? Let's, let's do it. And it was called choke artist. And it was that it was set in New York city, like um, during while we, while MMA was still banned. So we raised eight grand. We shot the, the short 10 minutes, you know, it was a 10 minute short. And um, because of, you know, just my kind of uh, connections in the combat sp- sports world, we got Al Iaquinta from the UFC to star in it, right? Because he was a student of mine. I used to teach out in Long Island, and back when he was like seventeen, I've known him for a long time. So he was he was interested in maybe uh, you know trying out acting or whatever. So okay, we'll, we'll uh, put you in our in our pilot. So we shot the we shot it, and then he started talking about it on. Um, you know, at UFC post fight press conferences and stuff. And, you know, he's like the ultimate fighter champion and like all this kind of stuff. So it was, it was giving our little thing, some notoriety more than like a normal little proof of concept would get. And um, so because he was in it, Fox sports contacted uh, uh, us, and we actually did an exclusive story on the show that we were trying to create. Uh, fourth spot for Fox and then Fox actually aired our our short you know, on their uh, website on their Fox Sports website that got seen by someone from Darren Aronofsky's office and they reached out to us and said hey would you come in for a meeting because um, Aronofsky's considering maybe doing a TV series with an the MMA theme and we were like holy cow yeah like, we're going to have that meeting for sure. And so we, we had the meeting and through, we had a couple of meetings and like a lot of shows, it, you know, it ended up not going anywhere. But in the pilot, there was an underground fight club scene that I choreographed the fight for. And um, I had met through those meetings, the stunt coordinator that works, you know, uh, a veteran New York guy that, that works with Aronofsky. And he was like, hey, man, you should really consider stunts, you know. so this was in 2014 and then um that was kind of like the push i needed to to consider this line of work you know so that's kind of how i got there and then the rest has just been like the same slow burn that every performer goes through trying to get into the industry
2: yeah now yeah we're now we're talking 2014 that's that's six years ago so since then you've worked on some some pretty awesome projects. You mentioned John Wick, but I mean, you were in John Wick two and three. You worked on The Punisher, Ray Donovan, The Blacklist. That's a pretty cool mix to get into for having just gotten into this industry six years ago.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty fortunate and blessed, I have to say. You know, like I, I'm a, I'm a kind of an outlier in this, in in the industry, like um, in that definitely not. A typical rookie in the business, you know, like I'm not a young guy trying to make it like I'm a guy with an established career and established place in a very particular community, like the martial arts community. So like in that way, and I have a gym So those, those were really big helps for me, like for my hustle, you know what I mean? And then my, my partner at the gym, Paul Veracci, like he was interested in, in getting into the industry too. So that kind of like is how Breakfall Studios started, like our training group mm-hmm. over there. But it's a little easier to break into the community when you have a place to train, you know? So um, we had taken, I think it was like by 2015 or something, we took a a fighting for film workshop and it was held over at um, Brooklyn Zoo. And um, we met a ton of performers. There must have been like 30 or 40 performers there. And, um, you know, one of the common... Themes of discussion was, like, there's really nowhere to train, you know? And I was like, well, I got a gym. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, after that workshop, we basically just took an email list of everybody who was interested. And then out of that grew Rick Paul Studios, you know? That's cool. You know, and but it was a long time. It was like, so you, like you're saying, like, 2014 I, is when I kind of decided I really wanted to give this business a go. And then it wasn't until twenty, the end of twenty sixteen, that I got into SAG. You know, so everything before that was non union stuff, and and um, trying to make those connections and build those inroads and do all the things that you need to do to get into the industry, which for everybody's kind of different, you know. Sure. Yeah. Like, and and part of it is just like, um, I would say, like a lot of doors open up to people. You know, like a lot of people are presented with opportunities and maybe they miss it or they don't see the opportunity or they're afraid to, to take advantage of an opportunity or they think they don't deserve the opportunity that's presented to them. And I think you just got to do it, dude. Like what's the worst that can happen? You know, I mean, you have to fail and um, you just got to do it. Like, so during that non-union time is when I got to do some cool things, which for me, like for, like say for, for me now are very minor, but it was like instrumental moments. You know what I mean? Like that instrumental moment of pitching a show that went nowhere, but I met people, you know, and then the instrumental moment that I didn't even know was an instrumental moment. Like, like I had no idea who or what 8711 action design. I, I don't know what they are. Like my radar, you know what I mean? And so one day at the gym, some folks come by. This was in, I don't know, 2015, maybe something, 2014. It was before John Wick 1 came out, right? But a bunch of people came and they were like, introduced themselves. Hey, like we're the stunt team from this movie coming out uh, called John Wick You know, nobody knew what it was. And at that time, it was just like some indie project. You know what I mean? And they're like, hey, we are looking for Russian bad guys, you know, Sambo guys. Like, um, you have anybody at your gym? So, like, I had no idea that that was Chad Stahelski that walked into my gym. Like, I had no idea. Like, I don't know who he is. Like, he's not like anybody that I even know about you know so it's like so i introduced them i pointed some people in in their direction like my friend vlad kulakov who uh he has a gym up in near florida new york at the time russian sambo master and uh he ended up getting cast in in john wick one you know he's like the guy remember the scene where um in the church where they got keanu on the chair Mm, yeah 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 And the dude puts the plastic bag over his head and then he gets sniped by Willem Dafoe, right? So that is my buddy Vlad, right? And he got that job because the 8711 guys came into my gym and like, hey, we're looking for Russian dudes to play bad guys, you know? (laughs) And then so, and that was it. That was my involvement in John Wick 1. I had no idea. You know, me, it was basically like, yeah, I know a guy. I'll send him your way. Like that was my involvement. It was like basically no involvement, right? But that connection was made. And I didn't even realize the connection was made. So, like, then, like, um, John Wick Two goes into production, and they set up the production office in New York. And then I get a call from Chad's assistant, like, "Hey, um, I'm Chad Stahelski's assistant. Would you mind coming in to talk about, you know, maybe you can help us on John Wick 2? And I'm like, "Of course." And I was still non-union at this time, so I'm, I'm sitting in the office with Chad. And I'm like, man, it's really great to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, we met already. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I'm the one who came to your gym looking for a guy. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> like, I feel like a complete <laughs> asshole right now. But, yeah, so that's how that happened. And then I didn't really do much on on WIC2 either. But, again, it was like meeting people and, and making those relationships. And, honestly, in this business, proving to people that you are not a dick. Absolutely. And that yeah. you're not an asshole. And that we can spend time with you without you being an annoying person, you know, like that's a huge part of making it in this business. So like, um, they brought me in, they were like, Hey, we just want to look at some possible, but like we need Sambo style throws and different kinds of things, you know? So I went in and it was at that time, it was like, uh, rehearsals hadn't started yet, but JJ Perry was the supervising stunt coordinator. So, and he was like amazing to me. Like I'm, I'm like totally somebody who, I'm just some Joe. I'm just some Joe that has a skill. That's it, you know. And uh, so they bring me in, and it was Justin Yu, J.J. Perry, Eric Brown, uh, Jackson Speedell. They were all there, and they were like, hey, we just – so we need to film you doing some stuff. So basically, I was working with Eric Brown, and Justin Yu was filming it, and they'd be like, okay, so – like, if if Wick had a gun in this hand and this kind of attack happened, like, what are some options from here? You know, like, we did this for a couple hours of them just, like, asking for, like, things that, like, just kind of improv, improv. like, what kind of throw can you do if you only have one hand from here, or, like, whatever? And then, so I did, we filmed that for a couple hours. It was fun. I met all those guys, and then I was like, wow, this is really cool. I, I like, dig this a lot, you know? And um, JJ was, like, well, why don't you come back, you know, come back and hang out, you know, come back and hang out with us. And so, um, I had to go to Colorado. I was teaching, uh, in Colorado Springs at Colorado Springs judo. I was teaching a, a training camp out there. So I was like, well, I'm going to be in Colorado for the week. And he's like, well, come back when you're come when you're back, let me know when you're back. So I come back in a week and they had in that week, they had shot 30 previous videos. And I was like, they showed them to me and J- and JJ's like, Look, this is what we did while you were gone. I was just blown away. They shot like thirty different fights, all with after effects and everything, you know, and thirty pieces of choreography. And then basically they were sending those to Chad and like they would probably they weeded it down to about fifteen fights that Keanu had to learn, you know, for Wick two. And so I was there for the first couple of days of rehearsal. I was there for the first rehearsal day with Keanu and then um you know, and then like, so the, for the first day they asked me for some, Hey, what what'd you do here or there or whatever? But eventually I just kind of was just there and watching and learning, you know? And it was great that they actually opened their doors and let me, you know, come in and learn that way. And by the time, uh, that was in, that was 2016,
2: maybe. Yeah. Cause,
1: uh, two yeah. was
2: 17, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So by the end of 2016, I got in the union, you know what I mean? Anyway, my point is is that you have to like just take opportunities that are presented. You know, you have to say yes and figure out how you do it later. Even if the in the back of your head is you're saying like, I don't know if I can do this or I'm not really worthy of this or or, or imposter syndrome, which we all have, you know, it's like that part of your brain that's telling you like, Oh my God, they're going to learn that I'm full of shit like real soon.
2: <laughs> well, let me ask you that about that specifically though, because when you decided to open up a Sambo school, like we were talking, uh, Sambo isn't exactly well-known martial art or, or anything like that. So w- were there people along the way that were like, dude, why are you opening up a Sambo school? Nobody wants to study Sambo.
1: Um, It was definitely, I'll tell you what, the opening of the Sambo school and and I used to head up the American Sambo Association. We did that for 13 years. Um, We got so much flack from existing small Sambo communities, like, you know, calling us frauds or, um, you know, like all different things. Like my my website was hacked. Um, I got threatening emails, uh, you know. All this kind of horrible stuff, like people accusing me of being fake and lying about my credentials and all this kind of stuff. It completely prepared me for trying to get into stunts. <laughs> it was like <laughs> cause the stunt community. As, so like so for as many amazing people as I've met in the stunt community, like that I would put literally my life in their hands, you know. It is a very closed and guarded community. I mean, nobody in the stunt community has ever hacked my website or done anything like that. Don't get me wrong. But it, what the way it prepared me was that the stunt community is very close-knit, very hard to break into, very clicky, and it's just really tough. So there's going to be lots of eyes on you as a rookie to see if you cut the mustard on lots of different kinds of levels and it's really difficult so like um having gone through that with the russian community and the sambo community it's like the stunt community wasn't nearly as bad but i was used to being kind of under scrutiny you know what i mean but yeah it was it was not an easy go you know uh for in the martial arts world like to create your brand as a sambo guy and then um you know, definitely not as difficult for the stone world, but it's like, um, it is difficult. Like, young people trying to get into this industry, it's really, really tough. I don't mean young, like chronological age young, just like new, new people in the industry.
2: Sure. Well, it's a good parallel because you open up your sambo school and, and it's not, um, not something that uh, necessarily would have been anybody's first choice, uh, maybe, um, but, and then you, uh, go into stunts, which, you know, for somebody on the outside might be uh, a profession where I would think would be for, you know, the young bucks out there that would, you know, that are are younger and hungrier and and, uh, um, eager to make their name. But um, again, even in your doing that, was there ever anyone who was like, listen, Steve, you know, you're not exactly a spring chicken. stunts aren't quite for... Us now, you know what I mean?
1: Oh yeah, totally. There's there's always naysayers in every domain of life. You're, you're gonna have naysayers, you know what I mean? But who cares? Like honestly, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. you can't you can't let that? I mean, I also have a very realistic view of who I am in this community. Like I don't have any illusions. Like I am not Chris Brewster. I'm not going to be doubling you know Charlie Cox on Daredevil. Like that's just not me. You know I get it. I'm very happy being predominantly a day player you know, in the New York area, sometimes not in the New York area, you know, I might get a weekly contract here or there, but I'm under no illusion of, like, who I am, you know, I understand who I am. And, you know, I just love everything about the business, you know, that I've experienced so far, even even with all the challenges, you know, it's like, it's just generally speaking, despite the clickiness and sort of the occasional bad apple, like everybody's really awesome, you know, like and you get to meet like people from the most diverse you know like because because there's no route into this business like for stunts you know like you meet people like like i'm a sambo guy right so that was like kind of my in but then once you're in you got to learn all the skills that everybody's got to learn you got to learn you know screen fighting you got to learn uh falling you got to learn driving you got to you know, get your rigging understanding up to snuff. You've got to, you know, all the basic stuff that everybody has to know, your acting skill, your auditioning skill. Like it's, you You know, everybody has something that gets them in the door. Like maybe you were a pro skateboarder or like the, the rigger, one of the riggers on Devs. I worked on Devs, the show that's on Hulu right now. Yeah. Like one of the riggers um, that worked on that production, he's been in the business like over 20 years or whatever, but his name's Eddie Fiola. He is like, a legend in the the BMX world, right? He's like literally the guy who created freestyle BMX. He's super famous in that world. And, um, his first movie was rad. Oh yeah. Back in the day. Right. That's what, that's what got him in. But like everybody else, then all of a sudden you got to learn all the stuff that we all have to learn. You know what I mean? So like you'll, you'll have one thing that gets you in the door and then you might not work again for another year, you know? Right. Um, so in that sense, we all are on the same page, you know, and then there are those people that are trying to get into the business that you just have to shake your head and be like, you know, I'm like, really, I don't understand, <laughs> you know, like what made you think that this is something you could do, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, again, that's in every industry, right? I mean, we all sure. in every single industry, you know, like you could be working in a bodega and be the guy behind the counter who has amazing social skills and and can set you, you know, you can, you can be the guy that like everybody loves to come to in the morning to get their coffee and you sell a, ton, a shit ton of coffee. And then there's that other guy that behind the counter that you will just be like, dude, in what world did you think you could be in the service industry? Like, because you're an <laughs> asshole, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. And the stunt world is no different, you know, so.
2: Well, you took uh, another step in the stunt world by creating Breakfall Studios, right? Now you've got a stunt training studio right in Manhattan. How busy has that uh, kept you?
1: Um, Well, to be honest with you, that is, I'm not going to lie, for Paul and myself, that was kind of like part of our hustle to get into the community, you know, and plus there was nowhere to train and work out with other stunt people, you know. I mean, there were places, but like I said before, a lot of them are not open to new new people, you know? And I can't blame them. You know, you get a crew of people that you like to train with and, and you kind of close the doors and train with them. And then, you know, you invite people in as you know them, you know? And that's kind of how we ended up with Breakfall 2. You know, it's like uh, we started out just like, hey, open for all, you know, open for everybody. But then you realize, well, that's not really going to work. So then we kind of added some hoops for people to jump through, you know, like, Hey, you know, um, well, you gotta at least have, you gotta be union and you gotta at least have one union job to come train with us. You know what I mean? But then you realize there's a lot of people who get in the union and have one union job who are like, not good, you know, I'm just being blunt about it, you know, like, so, and it's, and it's okay. It's okay to not have skills like, it's totally fine to not have skills and need to work on your skills. That's the whole point. But we were not trying to create a school. We were trying to create a training group, you know? So if you don't have something to contribute to the training group, then you're not helping us really. Cause it's not like, we don't want to create a class. That's not the whole point. You know, we weren't setting up a stunt school. We were setting up a kind of a communal training environment. You know what I mean? So if you don't, have the skill to contribute to that communal training environment then you know you need to go you need to take a couple steps back and go take a judo go start taking judo and learn how to fall you know like or you know go start go go take take boxing and learn how to throw some punches you know like uh things like that because most of what you're going to do as a day player is fight and fall like that's pretty much you know if you can't do those then you need to step back and start training so we we uh, over the years I mean breakfall is coming up on five years or whatever so we've kind of narrowed down to like where all those other groups are I mean we're still we still offer monthly workshops to anybody who's in the union regardless of skill level and then that's kind of where we um, you know will assess people that we don't know whether we want to invite them to work out with us or not you know or if we work with you on set or whatever you know but so in terms of workload, it, it hasn't been an entirely massive amount of uh, workload since I already have a gym, you know, and we're just operating out of the gym. So it's it's just one more thing that the gym does.
2: <laughs> but you've also uh, used that opportunity to create some, uh, some more films. Uh, coming full circle, uh, going back to your filmmaking roots, uh, Concrete and Crash Pads and Rewind.
1: Yeah, that was, yeah. Uh, Con- Concrete and Crash Pads was, again, it was kind of like, it's funny if you look at all the films I've done like the documentaries they're all things that I know about or want to know about like the first one sure. was was MMA and the fight to make it legal you know the second one that I helped produce and it was basically my friend's film that I jumped on as a producer but he it was really his brainchild was a girl fight it was a documentary about women uh, women's MMA I mean women's Muay Thai which you should check out it's on Amazon Prime. So had, yeah, I'm going to check that out. Cool. You know, then the third one was, again, it was like, well, I'm, I'm trying to get into this industry. How can I meet these people? I got it. Let's make a movie about the industry. You know, like, so basically <laughs> it was kind of like uh, a hustle for me. Like, so that documentary really got me in the door and got me introduced to a lot of people in my shoes that were also rookies and then also veterans, you know, and to learn more about the industry so it was great for me as a as a tool to kind of um, educate myself and at the same time offer some education to uh, viewers you know not in the industry so it was kind of a a really cool multi-layered project that kind of helped a whole bunch of people it was great for the viewers it was great for me and it was really great for the for the community, I think, you know, just in terms of like, it's it's kind of like a love letter to the community. And then you asked about Rewind, and that's just a short, you know, that we did, we just did that one, and it's going through festivals now. And that was really basically just like, um, you know, all these years later now, a bunch of, we have a bit of a crew, you know, DP friends and sound mixer friends. And so that was just a project that we, you know, it was like a, a five-minute action short a little beyond a practice fight, you know, more polished with a story and everything. It's really just a chance to kind of like, it's real important. Like I remember the the interview that the first time I went in to interview with Chad about working on John wick Two. like one of the things that I'll never forget that he said to me is like, listen, you need to shoot as much as you can all the time. Like you need to just keep shooting things, keep editing things like you can't function in the in the world today, especially if you want to be a fight guy, uh, uh, the stunt world today. If you don't know how to shoot and edit, like the the essentials, the basics at least, you know, you have to do it. You know, you you bring so much to the table as a performer if you actually understand what the other guy is looking at. You know, the guy behind the lens is looking at. If you don't get that, then you can't help them as much as you should be able to. So it's very important to make these shorts either polished like rewind or not polished and not shown to anybody, but just for your own practice. You know, we, we shoot a fight a week. And then, uh, like, so in our, in our training group, we shoot a fight a week and then every week a different person edits it, no matter how good or bad it looks, we don't put them up for the world to see, but just for our group, you know, and, um, that's how you get better. You know, And that's and then all those fights that we choreograph every week and shoot every week go into the file cabinet for future jobs one day when we need ideas. You know? Oh, that's awesome.
2: And it's interesting because I've, I've talked with uh, other people on my show about the uh, ability, especially nowadays, to whip your phone out, record something, edit it, and be discovered on YouTube. So the opportunities are there. And if you really want to get into this industry and you want to do something and make a splash – you have the tools to get out there and do it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The the double-edged sword of it though is that if you put up stuff that looks like crap, then you won't get hired, you know? So it's like there's a middle ground between putting up a lot of stuff and putting up nothing, you know? Like um, I know that a lot of the old-timers in the industry are not about social media, you know, they you know, we're kind of in this pivotal place in the in the industry where the world is so public now. But historically, the stunt community is very private, you know it's like man behind the curtain, and yeah, so it's like they um you know there's there's definitely conflicting opinions about that, but I think that um you can't not be on social media and the funny thing is that the a lot of the people who poo poo it, I know damn well actually do go and look at what people put up. <laughs> They you sure do. And if, and if they see something it. bad, they're passing around that phone on set, telling right, you know right. sharing stuff that looks bad. And so it's very important that um, you don't put up anything that looks bad because intellectually we might understand, let's say you put up a training video. And, you know, it doesn't look great, but you're thinking to yourself, well, it's obvious I'm just training. Like it doesn't have to look great. So intellectually, somebody might understand yeah, they're just training. It's not perfect. But the impression that it doesn't look good is what sticks with them. You know what I mean?
2: Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, speaking of the world and uh, crazy things going on in it right now, um, the, the week that we're recording this, we are right in the middle of the whole uh, COVID-19 scare. And uh, with all the chaos going on right now, how are you dealing with things as an actor, a stuntman, and as a teacher and instructor?
1: Just a little, just a little thing. I just want to say, like, I don't call myself a stunt man, which is okay. like, I mean, I just, my union title is stunt performer. I kind of feel like stunt man is a venerated term. Gotcha. Like I feel there's a few, just for me personally, you know, like I've had people tell, you know, veterans tell me like, dude, you're a stunt man, like whatever. But, um, me personally, there's a few things I haven't, done yet in my profession that i feel like i need to do before i'll call myself that you know okay like i haven't done i haven't been set on fire you know i haven't done (laughs) i haven't done a car hit you know there's certain classic things that i just feel like i need to check off before i'll call myself that
2: uh fair enough yeah
1: but i've done some of the things i've done you know like i've done some pretty cool i've done like some cool wire work and i've uh i've had a big bar fight like i always felt like oh if you're gonna be a stunt man you gotta have a bar fight You know, definitely are, you know, it's like, so I've done certain things on that, on that, on that, uh, that list, but not all of them. So, but to your point, like how COVID is like affecting, I mean, I kind of like feel like that is a day to day thing. You know, it's like, um, we closed the gym officially over the weekend before they announced that we had to, um, but the writing was on the wall and it was just prudent to do it. You know, um, for not just for health and safety reasons. Obviously, it was prudent to do it, but also like um, the market kind of dictated it. Like people were just not coming to class. Like there's there's no point in staying open if your class has two people in it. And then you know, and then the added factor of the danger that it poses. You know, especially in a in an environment where we're rolling around sweaty with each other and you know fighting and getting very intimate that way so um you know anybody who owns a gym right now is freaking out about their income stream drying up you know and then um every single person in the in in the entertainment industry is having the same fears like all the productions are on hold and so there's a ton of people out of work you know like uh, we have we set up for our gym we set up like I kind of saw what was coming, so I, I took advantage uh, and recorded a ton of um, instructional videos, uh, knowing that we were going to close. And I set up a a, a streaming portal online um, for my students for free. So we put up we're going to put up a new lesson every Monday and Thursday, and then um, that same portal is available for non students if they want to subscribe. It's like ten bucks a month, and you'll end up getting. Uh, 16 lessons a month so it's a pretty good deal if you have the money and you and you want to subscribe right you can do that but um you know and to be honest like i've been wanting to set up a a subscription entity for quite a while i've just been too lazy to do it so this kind of forced me to do it you know (laughs) um i think I, i mean i think one of the positives that comes out of situations like this is that you really get to push your creative limits and um you know I say it all the time, man, You get, you get somebody gives you lemons, you got to make lemonade, right? So it's like you just make the most of what you got, you know, and, uh, and survive. I mean, there's no point in stressing out too much about this. I mean, because we're all in the same boat. I'm not signing up new students, obviously. We're closed. You know, I depend on signing up students every month, you know? That's going to be a massive hit in income. Like, um, students... Even the most loyal students at the gym who maybe come April 1st pay their monthly tuition out of just a sense of loyalty and maybe because they're getting the streaming stuff for free or whatever, but mainly just out of loyalty, may not be capable of doing that in May if we're still closed in May. You know, like, So it all depends on how people's incomes are going to be affected over the next month or two. And you, and you can't blame people for, for not paying for something they're not getting. You know, you know, you don't, you have no right to call someone disloyal or whatever. Like if they can't, they can't pay it, they shouldn't have to pay it. But the saving grace is that we're all in the same boat. Like if I can't make rent in May, good chances are everybody in my commercial building is not making rent in May. You know, it's like, so you can stress out and be practical. I mean, you, you should be practical and try to plan for the future, but like too much stress is just going to be not helpful to you. And the other thing, I think that another positive thing that might come out of this is like a really strong building of a sense of camaraderie within communities that doesn't exist right now. It's like, um, I mean, we all know people like, especially in the city who like don't talk to their neighbors, you know, that don't, you know, they have the world that they function in and, and that's it. But it's like, uh, I think, for a short time, at least, we're entering into like a substance economy where money doesn't matter as much, and but it's what you can offer to the community will matter, you know. And so I think that's a positive thing that like once this we're past this, like hopefully that uh, sense of camaraderie and community support and uh, helping your neighbor will stay with us for a little while, at least, you know. Hey, here's hoping. Yeah, for real.
2: All right. Uh, let's de-stress a little bit and let's do a lightning round. You ready?
1: <laughs> I, I listened to all your shows and I'm like, okay, all right, what's he going to ask me? But let's let's do what we can do. <laughs> Go for it. All
2: right. Lifelong New Yorker, New York pizza or New York hot dog? Uh, New York pizza. Nice. All right. Uh, Marvel or DC? Marvel. I have to say
1: that I work for Marvel. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, yeah, so- but definitely, definitely. Definitely Marvel, although I have to say, like, growing up, I was definitely a Batman guy. So, I don't know, maybe DC, but, yeah, but Marvel, for sure, more, more recently, yeah.
2: Okay. All right, fair enough. Um, uh, Marvel gives you a call, says they want you to play a superhero. Who do you do?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> like, nobody. Nobody. You'll have to create your own. Like I will be like, um, what superhero could I be that's, like, old and out of shape? I don't know. <laughs> You can't be out of shape. You're a Sambo guy. <laughs> I, I am not superhero. Dude, I'm not superhero material. I am like um, – I'm Lex Luthor. I'll be Lex Luthor. Oh, nice. I'm bad right. guy. All I'll right, be a bad enough. guy. <laughs>
2: that works. That works. Uh, do you have a favorite Sambo move?
1: Uh, I'm really partial to like um, rolling knee bars and scissor takedowns. Like, I dig those. But I, I do like – there's a move called Vertushka. Which is like in wrestling it's called an arm spin. It's a kind of takedown. Like that's like one of my favorites. It's like such a killer move. It's I think it's the very first throw that you see in John Wick Two also.
2: Oh cool. All right, cool. All right. Uh, you do a movie Spotlighting Sambo. What do you call that movie? Total victory. Ah, nice. <laughs> that's Max of the eighties, nineties. That's awesome.
1: That's literally what if you win a match by um, a perfect throw or a submission. That's what it's called. It's called total victory.
2: Oh, nice. Very cool. All right. Uh, Last question. And it's a trick question. So hopefully you you get it right. Uh, What's your favorite podcast about Kung Fu, martial arts, movies and entertainment and now combat Sambo too.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me guess, would it be the Kung Fu (laughs) drive-in podcast? I think it is. Excellent choice. (laughs) All right. Uh,
2: What other stuff do you have going on then? Uh, And uh, where can my audience go to, follow with uh, your work and your school and uh, your stunt training and all that stuff?
1: Um, Well, like I said before, on every social media platform, basically you can find me as Sambo Steve, one word. Um, If you want to follow Breakfall Studios, it's at Breakfall Stunts on Instagram. New York Combat Sambo and Breakfall Studios both have pages on uh, Facebook you can find. Uh, In terms of what's going on, I'm not working on anything at the moment. You know, it's like pretty quiet for everyone but uh i do have a project that uh i don't want to say too much about but i have an opportunity which obviously is going to be delayed now but i actually have a meeting about it tonight a phone meeting with someone tonight about it to um pitch i may have an opportunity to pitch a show to netflix so keep your fingers crossed on that
2: very cool very cool keep us updated on that so
1: that would be more like a writing production side for myself, not stunt side or anything like that. Oh, that's more, great. more on the creator side. But, uh, yeah, so that was actually all just getting started before all this happened. So I'm not sure. It's not like it's going to disappear, but, um, definitely sure. there's a delay there for sure. All
2: right, well, that's great. Hopefully uh, that pans out and, uh, hopefully we're out of this sooner rather than later and we can all get back to normal. But, um, Stephen Kepfer, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out to talk. It was a great conversation. I, I learned so much about Sambo, and uh, I wish you the best of luck.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me on, dude. And um, yeah, I think you're right. This look, regardless of how this, how long this lasts, whether it's two weeks or two months or whatever, you know, we're gonna pull through the other side, and we're gonna have a big party at the end.
2: <laughs> yeah hopefully we'll have a, a huge party but um well uh, we were talking uh before we recorded uh, you are actually located very close to me in new york where i work so hopefully i'll be able to stop by and meet you in person and maybe do a show right there from your school
1: yeah definitely come by and take a class man see how you like it <laughs> that'd be awesome i know i know i listen to the show i know you've been training i have i have <laughs> you got to come by and get on the mat a little bit.
2: all right sounds good i, I would love a uh, an introduction to sambo uh from uh from uh, Sambo Steve himself. That'd be awesome. You got it, man. Thank you so much again. And best, really, best of luck with everything. And uh, like you said, uh, we're going to pull through this. And uh, hopefully we uh, have a huge party afterwards. So thank you so much.
1: Big time. Big time. Totally. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Huge thanks to Steven Kepfer for hanging out with me for the show. I love talking to knowledgeable people about martial arts, especially about styles that I'm not familiar with, and Steven shed a whole lot of light on Sambo, so I'm intrigued. Now, I don't know that my old body will hold up to that kind of punishment, but I hope to get to hang out at New York Combat Sambo soon and see what's what. Just have the ambulance on standby. Now, if you want to follow Steve, you can find him on Instagram at Sambo Steve or at Breakfall Stunts. If you're on Facebook, both New York Combat Sambo and Breakfall Studios have pages there. And I'll leave all those links in the show notes, so swing by, let them know that you heard them here on the show. In the meantime, give me a follow on all my socials as well, and if you have a moment, give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts if you can, because that would be super cool of you, and it really does help the show keep growing. Until next time, Poison Clan. Peace. Poison Clan rocks the world.
0: When you've really some action, drinking little wine, we're getting drunk and then fighting half this time it's war We smash the place up With a dragon cloth We walk into the tea house Ready for some action Drink a little wine And get drunken And then we're fighting Hack This time it's war We smash the place up With a dragon cloth I see the iron fist They Before the daily prayers Shouting monks on the hands Running down the thousand stairs The fatally nows in King Yu's hands With the fearless I they Over the lands Yeah the little big soldier Is older than wiser He wants a world of peace Because he doesn't want to fight Yo, got the venom mob lit. Down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guarantees to, to great jars. Five for the cast and pass, hear he the pause. Not again, back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but boards don't hit back. Yeah, the death jewel's here, David is coming back. The Tai Chi master, Jetley's even faster. Could try the had a little trick because he is the drunken master. Once upon a time in China, Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see Maggie on his spine Golden Swallow has arrived. Shan Chi movies, will the hero ever survive? We've got the brave archer make his way to the top. Of the mountain, gonna fight, may as well pick the spot. Yeah, this sky goes black on the vampire's back. We got Lam Jing Ying to kill the all to so stand back. He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword, and our sword will travel until his body's on floors. Yeah, Wing Chun Shao in the Mantis style. Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles. Blood will spill now on the mountain tops when we bring back the soul of the legendary Pops. Walking to the tea house, ready for some action. Drinking a little wine, we getting drunk, and then we're fighting, ha- This time it's warm We smash the place up with our dragon claws We walk into the tea house ready for some action Drink a little wine, we get a drunk and then we fighting it it's time it's war We we'll smash the place up With a dragon claw See it's a game of death Yo You're facing the big boss It's once upon a time In China Counting the TikTok. The Shogun Assassin Slashing blood or just did drop The head kick Neck drop, Balance the won't stop Wanna kill Bill Better get the assassin She's got her just in yellow But she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms That's where it'll happen She got the parties On the floor When the blood It'll splatter against the walls Don't fear at all she kill them all There's always blood spilled When you head into a war Fearless Unleashed the fist of legend at the car, Jet Li. I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll we'll always be a
2: beast. You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumbling the streets. And it's simple, see the facts are these.
0: There's only ever gonna be one, Bruce Lee. Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action. Drinking little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's one. To smash the place up with a dragon cross. But welcome to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little